Today's scripture reading is Acts 10, 1 through 23. So please read along with me, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier, who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened to them, to him and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The word of the Lord. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just time with my church family here this morning and um, time focusing on your word and desiring to hear from you. Father, we just want to, we want to hear what you have for us this morning through your Holy Spirit. And I don't need the perfect words for that or, or uh, even a, a perfect message, Lord. I just need you to speak. And so I just ask that you would speak uh, through me, through your word to the hearts and minds of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are a church family, and I was just in Colorado for a week uh, to spend some time with my family. And it was a, a, a Colorado family reunion, and maybe when you have a reunion with your family, maybe even there's a good group of friends, but uh, when you get together with your family, one of the things you do is you take a family photograph. Right? You get everyone together and you try to, uh, to kind of get everyone to look the same direction at the same time and to like try not to have like a weird smile on their face and, and get that moment, capture that moment. And that's especially hard in the Romig household because we had 15 or 16, 17 grandchildren uh, in, the, in the Romig household. Uh, there for our reunion. So that was a fun moment. Uh, it was just cool to see all the, the little kids and, and trying to capture that moment. Um, 
But it's beautiful, right? Because then we'll, we'll get that photo and we'll, uh, we'll print it out and we'll put it on our wall and it'll be something that we can look at and we can remember. Here are the, the faces of our family members. These are the people that we love and these are the people that we care about. And I want us to think about our church family for a moment. And then we can take a, a picture of our church family and see the, the faces, or if we were to take one right now, the eyes, the beautiful eyes of our family members. And we can thank God for everyone in here and how much we love them and, and care about them and are getting to know them. But what if God had a desire for our church family to, to grow? What faces might be added? What would those faces look like? What would those eyes look like? Who would God want to bring into this church family? And that's kind of a weird question to ask in the middle of COVID-19. Uh, but as we think about our church family and what a, a photograph of us could look like, I want to take a moment and look at a photograph of the church family. Because there's a, there's a picture in the Bible of a family reunion. <laughs> and it's a, it's a picture of a family reunion uh, of all believers, all people that know Jesus and love Jesus since the beginning to the end, from all of time. So here's, here's the photograph that I want to show you. And yes, it's in words. You're like, I didn't know there was a picture in the Bible. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is uh, uh, disciple John. He's having a vision of, of a great multitude. He says, after this I looked, who he's seen, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine this family photograph? Like if Jesus were to take a selfie, <laughs> maybe he will, uh, you know, just to honor our, our current cultural moment right now. This countless multitude. Now, this, in my mind, this like selfie uh, camera is a very high digital camera. Like you can zoom in and you can see every single face. And imagine the faces from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, every language that is being spoken right now, every language that has been spoken, every, I don't know if every like emoji language will get into heaven, but, but, every language that will be spoken, they're all there, and yet they're all kind of saying the same name, Jesus, Yeshua. And they're worshiping him. And there's this, this great cosmic worship service with Christ Jesus at the center. And it's a, it's a family reunion. <laughs> it's a family photograph. And so we ask ourselves, why did John put this picture in Revelation? Why did God give John this vision? Was it just so that we could like know that, oh, one day we'll, we'll all be there and it'll be really a diverse 
multi-ethnic church body and it'll be great? Was that the only reason? Are we supposed to maybe take this picture and be inspired by it? Be inspired to go out and share the gospel with people that don't look like us, don't talk like us, are from different places and, and, and regions? I think that's part of the motivation. But we as like a little church body here gathered in Westford, Massachusetts, I believe as we read this, we're meant to be inspired to become a little bit more like this, to work towards this, to achieve a little bit of this in our world. Now, if you were to take a family photograph of the Romics, and we've done it every time we have kind of this reunion. If you took it a couple of years ago, five, six, seven years ago, it would look vastly different than it looks now. There's a lot more kids. And some of the kids that were in that photograph, well, they've grown. And so part of me wonders, well, like, what will our family photograph look like in five years? What do we want it to look like in five years? And are we willing to, to work towards making that family photograph of our church body look a little bit more like this family photograph of our ultimate church family? I think that's what God is, what God is calling us to. I think that's what just God calls every church to. Every church to to seek to be a, a diverse, multi-ethnic church body. That when we just look the same, the same skin color, the same preferences, the same social or economic status, that we're actually missing a little bit of this picture. And obviously that's not easy. That's, and I think that might be easier for some churches than others, right? In seminary, I attended a church in, in Lynn. I did my uh, internship there for a semester, right? Lynn, very diverse, multi-ethnic congregation there. There was uh, white people. There was black people. There was uh, a Vietnamese congregation. It was either Vietnamese or Nepalese, or it was both. <laughs> it was very diverse. And obviously, we live in Westford, but, you know, as we study and think about Westford, we, we recognize there is a lot of diversity in this community. And if we're to go out there and share the gospel, like, we have an opportunity to, to share the gospel in our, our community and to form friendships and relationships with people that do speak other languages and speak multiple languages. And maybe God, maybe God would do something in that and honor our desire to look a little bit more like his family and Maybe in five years, our family picture will have changed in ways that we could never have imagined. I've been uh, going through and kind of previewing a class for the fall. It's called Race, Class, and the Kingdom of God. And the elders gave me their approval yesterday to, uh, to do this class for the fall, uh, for the adult Christian ed hour. So... Lord willing, that's going to look like an 8 to 30 to 9.30 Zoom adult education time so that we have enough time to get here uh, to church after, after the class. But in, this, uh, in this, uh, this study series, one of the speakers 
uh, her name's Alina, uh, she talks about their church, and she puts up like a very diverse picture of their church body, and she said, yeah, you can tell that there's black and white and different people, um, but there's also like a homeless person in this photo, and there's a millionaire in this photo, and yet they're still like unified in Christ. But this thing, she said, didn't just happen. Maybe for some churches it, do, it just happens, but you have to be intentional about it. Intentionality is different than good intentions. So one of the things they talk about in her church is the 75% rule. The 75% rule. If you're comfortable more than 75% of the time, then we're doing something wrong. If you're comfortable more than 75% of the time, then your cultural preferences are winning. Then your preferences are being put first. And if there's anything I know about my Savior, it's that he, he, he gives priority to those that lower themselves, put themselves last. See, I, I believe we see a call for a diverse, multi-ethnic church the church, global church, and we're going to see that one day. We're all going to be a part of that. If you look at the photo, like I'll be on the way back with the pastors. <laughs> but I think this is meant to inspire us to work towards that in our church. And in order to do that, we need to examine our own cultural preferences and, and begin to peel back our cultural preferences to say, oh, this 75% rule, that's a pretty good rule. Maybe there are things that I can do differently that I can lay down my rights, my preferences, so that other people might feel more comfortable in their preferences. I, I listened to a, a sermon this week, uh, Phil Vischer, the creator of Veggie Tales, and he was talking about their church, and they had this kind of these two churches that merged, a, a white church and a, an Asian church, and they merged, and as they were learning about uh, this, this younger Asian church, they learned uh, this concept of like oneness prayer. And this prayer is uh, not like one person prays at a time, but it's everyone prays all at once. And that helps you to uh, kind of stay focused instead of just praying quietly on the inside says when he was asked to do that, like it, it made him uncomfortable. <laughs> it made him uncomfortable. But the more he learned about the Asian community and the Asian culture, this was something that those people in, the, in, in that church really valued. It was a tradition that had been passed down from, uh, from family members uh, to, to children, to the next generation. He said, okay, I need to lay down my preference here so that we can practice this other way of praying. Prayer is prayer, right? <laughs> and if it honors them and their cultural preferences, then let's do that. That takes openness, doesn't it? That takes humility. That takes following the Holy Spirit. And those are the three things that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about openness. I want to talk about humility. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit because I think we see a kind of a posture of openness in our passage today in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. So Andy just read to us the story of Peter and his vision. But before it ever gets to Peter, it starts with Cornelius, a centurion. He's a member of the Italian cohort 
Uh, he's, a, he's a leader. He's at Caesarea. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere about like Caesar salad and, and getting Italian, but I just can't quite work it out. Maybe that's where they went to get Italian. And an angel comes to him and, and gives Cornelius this, uh, this vision. And, and he says, Cornelius. And Cornelius is freaked out. He's terrified. He's like, what is it, Lord? It's your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send your men to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with a tanner by the sea. And he departed and he sends these soldiers, a soldier and two of his servants. And here we, we see like this, this uh, there, there's so many layers of openness here because it's like the gospel, you know, in the book of Acts, it started in Jerusalem and then it goes kind of Judea, Samaria. And when it gets to Samaria, you're pretty impressed. You're like, okay, wow. Like the Samaritans, they're, they're these different kinds of people. They're, they're like Jewish, but not Jewish. The, they didn't get along with the Jewish people. And that's like really impressive that like the gospel is able to go across like that, that cultural barrier there. That's really cool. But, you know, maybe it's not that impressive because, well, there's still, Samaritans are, still have a lot of overlap with the Jewish faith. See, if it doesn't surprise us that the gospel is coming to Cornelius, then I think we're actually missing something in the text. Cornelius is a Gentile. He is not a Jew. He's not even close to being Jewish. And his job as a Roman soldier, as a centurion, is to be in, a, in charge of 100 men, whose job it was to carry out the will of the empire. The empire that is uh, completely like opposed and operates completely differently than the Jewish people. In fact, uh, Centur uh, Cornelius at some point in his life may have carried out missions like stopping and destroying uh, Jewish rebellions. Jewish people. And here, like an angel is appearing to him and saying, like, God is coming for you. God is about to do something amazing. Something I learned recently is that, uh, you know, part of what it meant to be a Roman was to worship the emperor. That, like, church and state were one. And you were to, to, to like, burn incense and give offerings to him. Right? They're in Caesarea, named after Caesar Augustus. And in the military, it was those that were in charge of like a cohort or a battalion, or in this case, a hundred soldiers who would actually lead their men in worship to the emperor. So Cornelius actually functioned as a little bit of a pagan priest leading worship to a false god. Now in our passage, it does talk about, well, he gave alms, he, he gave to the poor, he prayed. And so we don't know where he was on that spectrum. Was he uh, like really pagan priest? Was he uh, almost... Uh, 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 you know, worshiping the one true God, or, or was he somewhere in between or different periods in his life? We're not exactly clear, but we know that clearly God, we, we do know that God was working on him 
and preparing him and getting him ready. An angel appears to him. It says, go, go and find Simon, who's called Peter. So I think we need to think about our, our own family, right? Our, if you think of your biological family or your adopted family, uh, uh, well, first think about your biological family. Many of them look like you, talk like you, perhaps act like you. Same skin tone, maybe a similar hair color. Elijah and Evangeline look a lot like Monica and me. But what if God's, uh, God's vision for our family is not just based on biology, but, you know, adoption, where people do look different, and yet you're made part of one family. It actually says we're all adopted. We're all a part of God's family. And I think that's so true in this passage as we look at Cornelius, someone who, who doesn't look like the Jewish people. And yet God has a plan for him to be a part of, of the people of God. And what other people might God have for us that don't look like us or talk like us, but they're meant to be a part of our, our next family photo? Maybe you can imagine, like, how cool that would be. Uh, uh, you know, when we, when we did potlucks in Lynn, like, there was this more diverse, multi-ethnic offerings, right? The food there you weren't used to. That's really a cool blessing to be able to partake of some international food. Man, like, there, that would be really cool to, to see that and experience that here at Cornerstone. Or how about if uh, we welcome people in from other uh, nations, ethnicities, and, well, they're gifted musicians, and they want to be a part of the, the worship team. What instruments might they bring on this stage and, uh, and play, or what voices might they lift up that sound different or just have a different way of singing? How might they think about uh, doing ministry or uh, or uh, relating to people that just would be a blessing to us as a church family. It was really cool when Thierry a couple years ago came and he preached in French. And Sam translated him, but that was just, I think that was a special moment. I would love to see more of that. That takes intentionality, and it takes openness to what God is doing. The second thing that takes is humility. And we see uh, Peter taking a posture of humility in our passage. Verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. You see him modeling that openness, right, to whatever God has for him. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. I love that. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descended, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. 
and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. See, Peter thought he knew what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Peter thought he knew what it meant to be a Christian. <laughs> and Jesus comes in and, and flips him upside down. He thought he knew, and, and Jesus just begins to transform him as a person and his preferences. See, Peter understood, like, like, you know, at this time, Christianity is not its own thing. It's, it's, it's a Jewish sect. And part of what it means to be Jewish is kind of like this idea of you are what you eat. You are what you eat, and there are certain things that to be Jewish you can eat that are kosher, that are clean. And there are th certain things that, uh, that you're not supposed to eat that, that match up with the, there's some regulations we're going to go through in just a moment. In Jewish traditions, that say you don't eat these foods. Like, uh, I watched a video on kosher food this week. I didn't realize that Jewish people don't eat cheeseburgers, right? Because you're not supposed to mix meat and dairy. So they don't eat cheeseburgers. I was like, what? <laughs> You've never had a cheeseburger? I'm so sad. <laughs> Apparently there's like two different drawers for like different cooking utensils because you don't want to overlap like the cooking utensils or the eating utensils that you use to eat the meat versus what you might use to eat like cheese and dairy. That's fascinating, didn't realize that. But clearly like this tradition has not gone away. There's something significant about this for people who are Jewish. And you guys all know, like, you've done diets that just, it's like, I don't know what it is about, like, the daily rhythm of eating food. And then when you change that, it's like it changes your whole world. And maybe you want to tell people about it. For example, my wife and I are doing the Whole30 right now, except I, I did break it a little bit this weekend. Uh, and the Whole30 is the idea like paleo diet, right? No added sugars, no legumes, no wheat, uh, grains, no dairy. Uh, but then it's like, oh, this kind of makes me different, right? I feel different, uh, but then I identify a little bit differently too. Oh, look at me, I'm like a health nut. Like, what are you eating? Are you eating a cheeseburger? Shame on you. Uh, you know, like... <laughs> Not good, right? Uh, but God gave the Israelites this, this whole like, a special diet to do something special uh, to them. Leviticus actually talks about it. It says, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live in the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. Uh, and so, like, if you go back to Leviticus, you can see the animals that they were allowed to eat and weren't supposed to eat. And, like, they're, they're not supposed to eat, uh, like, you, you can eat a cow, but you can't eat a camel. So I, I looked at a camel's hoof, and it is divided, but it's not really a hoof. It's more like toes. Uh, and I was in Minneapolis several years ago for a church planting conference with the Four Cs. I had camel burger. Uh, at the International Food Court. There, it's kind of tough and gamey, not something I would recommend, not kosher. This also applies to seafood. Leviticus 11:9. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. So, right? No New England clam chowder, I guess. That's kind of sad. The clean food, I put up, here's a, here's a picture. So the top is clean, right? You got cows, chickens, sheep, salmon, locusts, deer. 
Lucas, you're looking kind of hungry for that locust. For that grasshopper, as long as it has jointed legs, you can eat it. Maybe we should have like a, a potluck sometime at Cornerstone where we try every type of clean food uh, the Old Testament would have allowed. On the bottom, we have unclean, and everyone knows about pigs, right? Like you can't have pork. Horses, if you wanted to have a horse, you can't. Uh, camels, right? Eels, Ugh. I don't, you know, maybe you've had that. Lobster, I don't really like uh, lobster anyways. Uh, uh, vultures, bats, moths, and puppies. You can't have puppies, I'm sorry. No eating of dogs, no eating of puppies. Now obviously, there are some health benefits to not eating some of these unclean animals. But we don't know if that's why God did it. Maybe that was just one of those benefits. We do know from verse 44 in this chapter why God did it. He says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Like this is the, this is the clear reason. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. So something about not eating these, uh, these uh, uh, religiously unclean animals was meant to set the Israelites apart as holy. And this tradition was lasting uh, over a thousand years. And now Peter gets this vision and he's kind of perplexed. He's perplexed because he's seen all these animals that are common. You know that word common is the, has the same root of our word for communion? <laughs> See, God wants there to be like this, this, this intercultural, multi-ethnic, diverse communion, and he symbolizes that with, what, with clean and unclean animals, bringing them together and saying, hey, have my heavenly barbecue, Peter. <laughs> It's all good. And so as we think about ourselves, and we think about all the cultures that surround us and live around us, we think this is all good. And then we want to reflect that. But Peter, he's perplexed. That means he was at a loss. Uh, maybe you remember that old television show, uh, Chris Angel, Mind Freak? Yeah, you've seen that show? It's kind of a weird, creepy show. Uh, speaking of animals and sheets, there was a magic trick that he did where he had like a group of people and he had this massive sheet and he had an elephant and he brought the elephant out and then he wrapped the sheet around it and he made the elephant disappear. And he had like someone walking around with like a handheld camcorder just to be like extra real. How did he do it? I don't know. Maybe they were all in on it, even the elephant. I was perplexed. Peter is perplexed. I think this is another way of saying, like, he's humbled. There's something that's going on in his heart where he says, like, God, clearly you're doing something. I want to know what you're doing, and I want to listen. I'm open. I'm humbled. And God's going to do something. He's going he's to take something that's common, and he's going to make it holy just like you and me. Like that's what he's doing to us. That's what it means to be a Christian, to take something that's common and make it holy. And it's messy. Like, uh, you know, I've talked about messy discipleship, messy culture, messy church. This, uh, this class I've been taking, uh, they have these ground rules that you're supposed to watch before every uh, session. And just the first three ground rules are this. 
Uh, no experts in here. We're all learning together. It takes humility to discuss things like race. Uh, number two, expect someone to say something stupid or racist. You know what? It takes humility and openness, and sometimes we're going to make mistakes. I've been there. I've done that. And number three, we have a mercy umbrella in here. I love that. It's like the, the reverse sheet. We have a mercy umbrella in here. See, as we pursue looking more like the family that God has in mind from the scriptures, you know, we're all learning. We're going to make mistakes, but we're all under grace. We're all under mercy because we're all under Jesus. Because he died to pay for my sins. Like I, and he died to pay for your sins. I don't know what I can hold against you. Like, can, I, can I hold anything against you if you've been forgiven by my king that forgave me? I can't. Maybe you haven't experienced that grace. Like, I don't know everyone's heart in here. I don't know if you know Jesus. But knowing Jesus is coming under a mercy umbrella. This umbrella looks like a cross. And Jesus, you know, he gives his life. He hangs there and, he, and he, he pays the penalty. He offers his life as a sacrifice for your own because that's how bad sin is. Sin deserves the death penalty. But there's mercy and there's grace. And so we can have humility because we recognize we're not saved by how good we are. <laughs> that would just make us prideful. We're saved by, by Jesus and how good he was, how good he is, that he's perfect. I hope you'll join me for this class, race class in the kingdom of God, 8.30 to 9.30 this fall. I think we're going to probably start September 13th via Zoom. The last thing it takes is the Holy Spirit, right? Like we need God. We need God. We can't force becoming a, uh, you know, a, 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 we can't force laying down our cultural preferences. We can't force like becoming more diverse. We can take the right posture, openness, humility, and try to obey we need the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed to what the vision had, seen, had, had been, like had what, what it might mean, the guys showed up. And they stood at the gate and they called out. And the Spirit said to him, don't miss that. Like the Spirit spoke, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. If it is the Holy Spirit's will, and I believe it is. I believe we see it reflected in the scriptures. Maybe it'll take longer than five years. Maybe it'll take less time than five years. If it is his will, nothing can stop it. But we must remain open and humble and obedient. And we must seek him. They talk about Cornelius, and then it says, so he invited them in to be his guests. <laughs> he obeyed. I don't know if you remember, but Peter is the guy that denied Jesus three times. And then here, what happens in this vision? He denies the Holy Spirit three times. Well, if he gets some, something going on with the Father, he can just kind of round out the Trinity. I wonder if he was thinking, oh, no, not again. I just told God no three times. This is not going well. 
But clearly God was at work in him. God was at work in his heart. One small step of obedience, Peter. And clearly God had already been working on him. Like he's staying at the tanner's house. A tanner is someone who touches dead animals, which is unclean according to the Old Testament. God was getting him ready. And so what's one small step of obedience that you can take? Who, who do you know in your life who is just completely culturally different than you? Maybe economic status, maybe ethnicity. How can you have them over for dinner, get to know them, have a conversation, or go to their home? Talk to them more at work, advocate for them in the workplace setting. And if you don't know anyone, well, I hope this is a wake-up call. Well, we need to really get out there and try to make those relationships and be intentional about them because intentionality is different than good intentions. And then praying for, uh, for God to expand our church family in the way that he has in mind. That he would do something here that when people come that even that are from different ethnicities and cultures, that they would feel comfortable, that, and that we would figure out creative ways where you know, we're not always comfortable so that when new people come in, they might be comfortable. How can we take one small step as a church family to do this? I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I'm, going to, I'm excited to see the, the faces that God is going to add that what our family photo will look like. And it's not going to be any credit to us. It's going to be a credit to Jesus. Laying down our cultural preferences takes openness, humility, and the Holy Spirit. But isn't that what Jesus did? He laid down the culture of heaven, of glory so that he could come into our world, our culture, embody God's presence in our world so that we can know God. So we just want to look a little bit more like that. We just want to reflect that. Openness, humility, the Holy Spirit, that's what we need. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he has done. I pray that you would change our family photograph to look at just a little bit more like your family photograph. God, would you be at work? Work at our hearts and work in our church family. Lord, I thank you for everyone that is here. You've brought them here for a reason. We love you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to be a part of what you are doing. It's in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.